Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Positive Pessimist Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Gaither. My guest today is Cowboy Bill Martin. Super funny dude. I've known him for quite a few years, but I haven't talked to him for a while, so it's going to be good to talk to him. He's got two specials on Amazon Prime, and during this pandemic, he's managed to pick up 500,000 new subscribers. So I can't wait to talk to him. Let's bring him in. You look good, buddy. Well, I, I, I feel uh, almost good. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how you doing? You managed to pick up 500,000 new subscribers. That's good. How, or uh, followers. How do you, how'd you manage to do that during a pandemic? Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of naked stuff, Tim. I don't know if you know, <laughs> but it, there's been a lot of naked stuff. And there's something about, you know, a guy over the age of 50 uh, who's out of shape that people just want to see. <laughs> Maybe I remind of an, of an uncle they feel uncomfortable around, and they're trying to work through that. But whatever it was, it worked. Good. Well, that's good to hear, man. No, I actually had two specials come out in uh, November and December on Amazon and, uh, you know, iTunes and everything. It was all over the place with Comedy Dynamics. And, and uh, you know, we were really starting to hit the the stride really and then the pandemic hit and you know the marketing team that i have is, is a bunch of great guys and they were like you gotta do live stuff on facebook and i'm like i i you know first of all i can't do comedy have you done the comedy with the the virtual comedy with no audience yet have you done that you mean Zoom, like Zoom stuff? No, I, I haven't. I've been approached about doing a few of them, and I even got offered pretty good money for a couple of them, and uh, I, I just, I think I'd rather stock shelves. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd rather take off an ingrown toenail with a shotgun uh, yeah. than to do a show. You know, we, we work our whole career to have an audience, and the idea of, of going back and having no audience it, it's like doing it in the mirror. So I was not interested in that. And they're like, well, at least flip on the thing and talk into the camera, right? Uh, and I was reluctant. I was like, no, no. And then and then about, I, I don't know, like the first week, the first week it all got shut down, there were already people that had, you know, virtual tip jars. And uh, I was like, <laughs> if we couldn't have made it through two weeks without trying to do a tip jar... Maybe I should rethink the thing. So I didn't want to do a tip jar, yeah, and and, and uh, or any of that other kind of stuff. I didn't want to raise money, you know, that kind of thing. And maybe that's the detriment to myself or whatever. But I just flipped on the thing like at four o'clock, and I started talking every day at four o'clock. It it gave me something to do, Tim. Is really what it did. It gave me something to do other than lay around the house and watch the news and get down that rabbit hole. And everything else. So I, I started talking at four o'clock, at four o'clock, at four o'clock, at four o'clock, and then, and then I, uh, I, I did this deal called the twenty-four hour uh, Facebook Live. So I went on at twelve o'clock on a Saturday noon and stayed on live on uh, on Facebook for twenty-four straight hours. Wow! Up here in this loft, and I, with the purpose of there was a lot of stuff that I put off. Like I bought Rosetta Stone nine years ago, never opened the box, okay? Great intentions, never opened the box. So I, I decided I was going to do that during the 24 hours. I was going to at least open it up and try to take a lesson. Well, it turned out that the, uh, that the licensing uh, had expired, so I couldn't do that. So I had a guy call in and, and, and teach me a couple of Spanish words, right? 
And then I took uh, a, a guitar lesson, which I always wanted to take, a piano lesson. And so there was, and I interviewed some folks, and then, and then we just talked into the camera. Okay. And then, and then out of that, we just it kind of built its own thing. You know, I started talking to folks about just trying to take it one minute at a time to get to one hour to get through one day. And I, I realized that I needed those talks as much as they needed to hear those talks. Right. So it wasn't just about about being funny. I mean, I'm sure you were because you're a naturally funny person, but you just talked about whatever and, and it kind of helped people as well as just making them laugh. Is that what yeah, I mean? and there was just so much, you know, just so much negativity, and there still is out there. Just, I mean, it really can bog you down and really affect your soul. You know, uh, I, I never met Dustin Diamond at all. Uh, but the one lesson that you can learn from him is three weeks ago, he didn't know he had cancer. Wow. My understanding. Uh, January 1, he didn't know that he had cancer. And here it is, February 2, and he, he's gone. Yeah. Know? And, and you know, as much as we love to argue about all these different things that are going on in the world of us, politics and 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 all these other things you know do you really think that he gave a a a shit you know two days ago yeah what his actual view was so my whole thing is that in it in our lives we're all going to go through stuff like even if they solve the pandemic tomorrow there's a good chance you or somebody in your family is still going to have to go through something and the only difference is 330 million Americans aren't talking about it. Yeah. You're going to go through it by yourself. So we try to be real positive. You know, I, I'm, I'm real blessed to be able to stay in this thing for 25 years. You know, I, 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 I've always had the mentality I, of the little rascals, really. You know, all three of my television specials, uh, you know, I designed and built the set myself, you know, and we financed it ourselves. And it's always been that, well, by God, let's put on a show. Yeah. You know, and me and Petey get out there and we build the shit. And, uh, and, and so this idea that the American dream is dead just like that, I still personally don't buy it because I'm living proof that where I came from to where I am now is living proof that the American dream still can still happen. It's still happening today. Yeah. And I think, I think at times we are losing the fact uh, that 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 the American dream is still out there. Yeah, it's still going to be hard times. Yeah, there's going to be things stacked against you. But what's that any different than it was six months ago or four years ago or in 1996 when I started this dream of stand-up comedy at the age of 30? Yeah, you know. Uh, so that's what we talk about a lot. Just you know, to put a smile on your face. A lot of times in nearly every broadcast, I, I, I remind people to laugh during the day. Sometimes you know, because your body doesn't know. That, that it's fake. So it produces the endorphins anyway. Yeah. So as I tell ladies all the time, teach your man to fake it, baby. Teach <laughs> your man to fake it. And uh, put a smile and, and feel the blessings of God. Yeah. You know, about five years ago, uh, I had my CNT special come out. And I cussed all the way through it, right? And which is cool. That's where I was working, you know. And I, I felt that tug always that I wanted because my first five years I worked clean, and then I got dirtier and dirtier and dirtier, and then uh, I did the CMT special, and it was the highest rated special that they had that fall, you know, 
and they were still tugging at me. And uh, one day I'm out mowing the grass. I changed my name back to my real name, William Lee Martin versus Cowboy Bill. Okay. You know? And uh, I'm out mowing the grass, Tim, and I'm, I'm praying about it. I'm like, God, why, why don't you let me grab the brass ring? You obviously let, you know, Carrington grab it, and you let Ron White grab it, and they cuss up a storm. So it's obvious that that's not holding them back. Why, uh, what's holding me back? It's literally my prayer. Yeah. And just like you and I are talking, the voice in my head said, listen, uh, I put you out on a cruise ship for seven years to change anything about your life. And the only thing that you changed was your name, and you wanted me to work the miracle. You know, you're waiting on me. I'm waiting on you. I didn't yeah. create you to be Ron White. I didn't create you to be Rodney Carrington. I created you to be William Lee Martin. Why don't you go try to be that guy? Yeah. And I've been happy ever since. And it's a difference in my life. It's a difference in my soul. I, I think it's a difference on how my friends even see how I am in my daily life, you know? Yeah. Well, it's great that you bring that up because, you know, I've recently in my act, you know, I used to say, I used to use the Lord's name in vain all the time. I used to say the GD word all the time and in my regular life and, and on stage. And recently... During this pandemic, I've gotten a lot closer to God. I've always believed in God and everything, but I've gotten a lot closer to God and try to, I'm trying to read the Bible and just be a better person in general. And my last time I was on stage, the last five shows I did, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't say that word at all. And now I don't, you know, and I have a two-year-old now too. And yeah. Yeah. you know, I've I've never been dirty, but I've always cussing has always came very naturally to me. Sure. Um, but I don't think I need it, and and I would like to. I'm slowly trying to get away from it, and uh, it, it's just interesting that that you know. I just did another podcast. I do podcasts where I talk to these high level wrestlers, and because I'm a big wrestling fan, and I used to wrestle, and and I was telling this last guy that I was talking to that I I pray to God all the time lately to show me His will for my life, and to put people in my life who need to be there. And it's just funny that, you know, you hit me up about doing this and, and, and I would love to have had you. And then all, you know, it's just, it's amazing the people God puts in your life when you ask him to. And, uh, so I just think that's all very interesting, you know? Um, well, uh, a couple of things. First of all, I don't know if you know this, but the reason why my name was Cowboy Bill is, uh, my grandfather's name was William Lee. My name is William Lee. He didn't want me to be called Little Bill. Uh, he said he'll hate it as a grown-up. Call him Cowboy Bill. And I was actually named after Cowboy Bill Watts. Okay. The old wrestler back in the 60s. Oh, really? So that's when I was born, until I was six years old, and he died when I was six. Okay. You know? So uh, it wasn't until comedy, and I got this gig in radio, that I was supposed to go do uh, this call-in. I, I created this call-in, like this single guy call-in, right? And it was right when I was about to get into stand-up comedy, so it was all working together. From a book I'd written called Life on the Neon Moon, Now That She's Gone and Took the Dog With Her. Right? <laughs> and it read like stand-up. So I had this manual that I, that's what I started out with. And uh, But the guy, I was going to Cowboys in Arlington, Texas, and to do the call-in, and he said, uh, live from Cowboys in Arlington, we've got Cowboy Bill on the line. And it just... Fit, right? So I went on stage in two weeks later, first time in stand up as Cowboy Bill. Okay. So that's where the, it wasn't like a, it was a character that I was creating or anything else. But it is amazing 
like you said, the people that they'll put in your life. And what I tell young people all the time, and even old people, is that most of the time we get bogged down in the messenger and not bogged down in the message. Yeah. So uh, reading the Bible, uh, if you get through it, I, I've read it twice, and if you get through it, uh, congratulations. Yeah. If you understand any of it, wow, you're a lot smarter than I am. Yeah. I, you know, I get lost in the begets and the begots and the and who, and you know, so there are. It's a tough read. But you know, it, if if somebody in our leadership would just simply talk about one principle, and that's to love each other. Yeah. If we could just get back to somebody in the room, the grown up in the room somewhere, saying, you know what? Why can't we talk to each other? Why? Why do we always have to be at shouted voices? try to be heard yeah you know and and uh and there are things that come into your life you know for me on stage i always felt like i had the yell butts like i felt like i'd have a great show but i always felt like people were shaking my hand going i like the show yeah but yeah but yeah but and uh that's why i changed it 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 wasn't it wasn't a marketing ploy it wasn't any of that stuff it was that that desire and you'll know because it's tugging at you just like it's been tugging at you tim yeah yeah, you know, I've I've said this for a while now, and I'm really starting to believe it and, and try to not just believe it, but make it happen that God will give me the blessings I deserve when I use all the abilities he's given me. And, you know, just like when I was wrestling, I was a natural at it, and I was pretty good, but I didn't work as hard at it as I should have. And same thing with comedy. I was pretty good right from the start, and I, you know, I like to think I kept getting better at it, but... I still don't work as hard at it as I should, and it's supposed to be fun, but there's also things you can do to, uh, you know, there's, you know, that saying, faith in action, you know, it's like, you can pray to God, but what are you doing to help facilitate that, you know? Well, it's, it's funny, because three days ago, maybe five days ago, I wrote, uh, goals without works are merely dreams, mm-hmm. you know, so you got to do the work, uh, you know, I, I really dove into the whole songwriting thing, so I, I've always been... I've always wanted to write songs since I was five years old. And I've written songs which basically work out to poems, you know, because I'm a, I, I, I don't play a guitar or the piano. I, I was a drummer in college and went to school playing the drums, but I never learned to play the guitar or anything else. But, but I always, writing to me has always been writing. So I wrote advertising out of college and, and then comedy is writing. And then I wrote columns and so writing is writing. Right. But I, continue to write. And then about five years ago, I, I ran into a cat on, on the cruise ship of the soloist and we started writing together. First guy that would actually write with me. Yeah. And since we've been in lockdown, that's all I've been doing is taking on these writing sessions. And, uh, about two weeks ago, I wrote a song, uh, called at the end of the day, which is a phrase, by the way, I hate. Okay. At the end of the day, but I was here at the house. It was Sunday two weeks ago, and I was watching Meet the Depressed, right? Meet the Press, but it always gets me depressed. <laughs> so I'm watching Meet the Depressed, and uh, so i like, I got to shut this off. It's just clouding my head, man. Yeah. There's nothing I can do about anything that they're talking about. Nobody's going to ask or take my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so I come up to the loft, and I was just going to play uh, Red Dead Redemption. If it wasn't for Red Dead Redemption, Tim, I don't know what I'd done in the pandemic. 
Do you play the game? I don't. I literally get up and go ride a fake horse when I can go a half a mile and ride a real horse. <laughs> but every day I ride the fake horse and okay. I go hunting and I go fishing. <laughs> so it's consumed too much of my time. I now I, I, I now have an illegitimate wife, right? We're married, but she used to be a whore. <laughs> Yeah, don't judge her. Don't judge her. And and this is no, I'm not kidding at all. And we have an illegitimate son who really doesn't like the outdoors, but I'm trying to make him a a stronger man. Yeah. In the game I'm playing. No kidding. (laughs) His name is Jack. Okay. My, so. So it's not, it's not a real son. It's like a virtual son. The virtual son. Okay. Okay. I have five children that are downstairs sometimes and I'm up here. (laughs) Hanging out with my virtual <laughs> illegitimate son from my whore wife in 1880. That's hilarious. <laughs> so I come, up, I come up here after I get off to meet the press, and then and I'm like, I, and I'm playing the game, right? And I'm like, Bill, you got to do something, man. You, you can't just waste another day. And that, I think that's the thing. I, I think you get to that point at some point in your life where you realize how many days that you're actually just burning. Yeah, know, like a matchstick. Yeah, and so I, I turned it off, and and I'm like, either write a song or write a script, because I've now finished seven fooling screenplays in the last three years or so. Okay. So I keep writing and keep writing. So I go out, and I'm, and this this loft is over the garage, and it's detached from the main house, and I'm looking at the main house. And my wife's in there making chili, watching one of her How to Kill Your Husband shows, right? <laughs> and I literally go, well, at the end of the day, if it's just me and you, ain't nothing more that we can do, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, write that down. And about 30 minutes later, I had a song. And now that song is being pitched to, to uh, uh, Uncle Cracker this week and Kenny Chesney in two weeks' time. Man. Awesome. Congratulations, so buddy. You've got to do the work. My point is not to brag on any of that. Sure. It's just to do the work, man. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't happen. That dream doesn't happen that God puts in your heart unless you get off your fat ass and do something. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that. Like, sometimes it, it doesn't even always have to be uh, comedy work. You know, like, sometimes I'll go out and be cleaning my garage or just doing something productive. And the next thing I know, uh, somebody's calling me with a date, or or my manager has something for me, and it's just uh, it's just kind of how it works out. And now that I have a kid, and all of a sudden I'm 45 years old, and I'm like, where the hell the hell did that happen? Um, I realized that I, I have waste. I, I I shudder to think of all the time that I have wasted on this earth, and I am a professional time waster, and I don't want to do it anymore, you know, and. Uh, so I'm determined not to. You you said that you didn't start comedy till you were 30. What did you do until you were a comedian? Uh, I was out of control. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had uh, man, I just I was just I literally was just writing about it yesterday. Uh, so my my dad uh, and mom uh, moved away uh, when I was 15 years old. My dad had these three heart attacks. And they moved uh, out to East Texas, and I didn't go with them, you know. And I ended up uh, living with my brother, who is slightly older than I was. And uh, I was out of, you know, I, I, my life was really spiraling out of control. And I, I still managed to graduate, you know, the top, you know, 5% of my class. And 
and uh, got the music and the academic scholarship. And I came home and I told my dad, you know, uh, it went to hit their house and told him that I had the scholarships. And, you know, there's always these great scenes in movies where the dad grabs a hold of the son and goes, you know, you're going to be more than I ever was, son. Well, I got the, well, people like us don't go to college, son. How are you going to pay for your car? How are you going to pay for your apartment? I get you a job at Champion Rebuilders, man. It was an alternate, it was used alternators that they rebuilt these things. Yeah. I can get you in the union. You'll be making $14 an hour. You show me an 18 year old kid is making $14 an hour in 1984. Yeah. And I took the job, man. I took it. And I was literally taking off three bolts, changing the socket and doing two more. And uh, I, I go through the 60 day period and I'm uh, 61, day 61. I'm in the uh, break room at lunch eating my brown paper bag sack. And I look up, and they were talking about uh, UTA, where my music scholarship was, that the band just started doing rehearsals. And it was almost like a television scene, man. I went, now this is not the life of me, man. Yeah. And I said, adios. And they're like, you just got the union, man. And my dad didn't speak to me for three months. Wow. It would be nice to say that, that uh, you know, the, it all went smoothly. No. So I go one year of college. And, you know, I, I don't have any support. I don't ha- have any guidance. And I'm out of college, man. I passed, but I was out of money. And then, uh, you know, and then I got married a couple of years later. And then uh, I was 22 years old and not uh, had done anything with my education. And uh, my son was born and they put him in my hands. And it was that wake up, just like you were talking about that you had with your son. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have to have more. So I started going to school full time. And so I got a degree. I, I worked full time at a paint store. And at night I went to school full time at a junior college and then UTA and, and, uh, and wasn't a good father still not cert- I was a good father, but not a, a good husband at all. Got divorced again. And now I'm 26 years old and, and, and nothing in a world of nothingness started writing advertising, you know, and there's nothing exciting about sizzling summer sales, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I, I, I was almost 30 and I got fired. We all got fired. We got sold to another company. And it was my grandmother who said, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. And I'd written that, you know, that book that everybody kept telling me that was read like stand up. And she said, well, why don't you go home and look in the mirror and ask yourself, are you happy? You're almost 30 years old, and I never see you smile. And it's from a woman that found out that she had a tumor on her lung about the size of my fist and dying of lung cancer, right? And I like to say I didn't, but I didn't, man. I went home, and I stayed in the fetal position for five and a half months. Would have been six, but unemployment runs out in five and a half. <laughs> it's a true story. The UPS driver comes next door, and I go next door to tell him I got fired. You know, My neighbors asked me to pick up the package that they were having delivered. They were out of town. But I saw it as an opportunity to tell him my life story. A guy that didn't know me at all, tell him my life story. I told him I was fired, told him I was single, told him I didn't know I was going to make ends meet, you know, throwing the pity party. And he looked at me like, good, that's one less box I bring out here, dude. And I went home and I was dejected, right? And I turned off the phone and the, and the television, all the distractions. And I just got about as close as I am to the screen and said, am I happy? And I knew the answer was no. I had a four-hour conversation with what I believe God that day. 
And I called my grandmother and I said, you know, since I was five years old, I wanted to be on stage, television, radio, and print. And she said, go for it. And I said, what if I lose the house? She said, buy you another one. She said, I don't want you to be 30 or 50 or even 80 and go to the would have, could have, or should have. Yeah. That's, that's what I did. And uh, so I started comedy with no backup plan, no job, just going to do comedy. That, and I'd never even been in a, in a comedy club at that point. Huh. I'd only seen it on television. Yeah. So I, uh, uh, I was fortunate to uh, get that comedy defensive driving gig. You know, back when you could do that in Texas. Yeah. And I and I did that for the first two or three years. But I went from open mic, you know, to headlining clubs in about three years, which is crazy. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but still that first year, lost a house and a truck. <laughs> yeah. The house, the house I was fully prepared because I couldn't hide it. Yeah. <laughs> I, it wasn't on, you know, it wasn't on wheels. So I was fully prepared for it to go. Yeah, but the truck, uh, the truck I was hiding it every day. <laughs> and the only day I let it out was on Christmas, and I thought nobody would repossess a truck on Christmas. Uh, Ford does, <laughs> and and my son, who's now thirty two, so it's twenty five years ago. We're standing in the spot now. I don't know if you've ever had a vehicle either stolen or repossessed, stolen. but you literally stand in the spot and you pat yourself like it might have shrunk, right? You know, I know I put this Ford 150 around here somewhere. Yeah. And my son was seven. He goes, well, Dad, we don't need to call the cops on this one, do we? (laughs) Oh, sir, we don't. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny, man. Uh, Yeah, I remember being in a, I don't know if you remember, but we were working the South South Dakota Funny Bone. It was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Sioux Falls. And uh, we were up in the hotel room, and we were probably both pretty buzzed up. And I remember you saying, uh, I've been doing this four years. I'm on the fast track. <laughs> I remember you saying that. And uh, and that was good to be headlining after three or four years. And, and uh, you know, you've always been really funny. So I'm glad to see things are working out pretty well for you, and you're having a good attitude. Well, it's funny. The fast track probably was uh, because the first night that I went into the open mic, uh, this guy, you know, and I think he's still doing over mic now, right? But he takes a deep breath and looks at me and goes, so, you want to be a comedian, huh? Oh, yeah, I've got a dream. <laughs> and he goes, well, you know, you're going to have to go through the open mics for three or four years, and then you'll start opening. And then you'll do that for, you know, three years, maybe four, and then you'll feature. And then they won't headline you, they'll co-headline you. You know, and then uh, about year 12 or 13, you'll start headlining the thing. And I'm like, man, I'm 30 years old. I got a, a kid at home. I can't really go on a 13-year plan, man. And, uh, you know, one of the things I do regret uh, about the early days of my career is that, you know, I was brash. And I was, I wouldn't say braggadocious, but now that I look back on it, I was... Uh, absolutely terrified uh as we all are when we first get into stand-up you know there's so many egos that are going on anyway and there's so many insecurities going on in your own life and uh it's set up for there to be an adversarial relationship anyway with other comments yeah let's face it the only way to move up to the feature spot as the opener is to bury that guy yeah and the only way to move back then you know back then there were no how many followers you got 
I actually heard two openers ask that about a year and a half ago. You know, why am I opening? I have more followers than he does. Or that was the question. Why is he opening when I have more followers than he does? I'm like, well, I, I think he might be funnier, you know? Yeah. And that used to be that used to be the only thing is that can you go and, and make it hard for the next guy to go up? And I realized at some point that that it was it was uh, it was hard uh, for me to accept how many things that I did wrong in this business. Well, I brought it up because you know I didn't I honestly didn't think you were bragging when you said it. It gave me hope because <laughs> when when I started out, my you know I decided in college that I was going to do comedy for a living. And when yeah. when anybody tried to you know, dissuade me or kind of crap on my dream. I, I was like, no, this is just something I know that I can do. And it didn't take me very long to headline either. But then I kind of got obsessed with just making money and I didn't take the time to advance my career necessarily as far as like getting on TV or any of that kind of stuff. And even when I moved out to California, I was so just, I just liked making money doing comedy. And Something this pandemic has done has made me realize that I want people to come to the show to see Tim Gaither, not just to come to the comedy club and to see whoever's there. You know, like I used to enjoy being the anonymous headliner and now I've got all these opinions and I'm like, I don't want you show, you know, especially with how politically correct everyone is. I'm like, I don't want you showing up if if you're going to get offended or whatever. I want you knowing what you're walking into. And, you know, so that that's my goal now. Um were you the funny kid in school? Were you always funny? No? I was painfully thin. I was buck-toothed. And I was uh, bullied uh, relentlessly. Yeah. And to speak in public uh, was absolutely terrifying. Uh, uh, even in college, in, in uh, uh, public speaking classes, speech classes, uh, I would throw up uh, uh, literally right before I would go up in front of, you know, 25 people and, uh, with the, uh, cafeteria lights on, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was, I was funny around the house. You know, I, I started doing, uh, impressions of, uh, uh, Johnny Cash and, and Elvis when I was five years old from my parents, friends at their party and that kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, no, uh, I had a brother and a mother who thought I was hilarious and I, I would do impressions of, family members and that kind of thing. And, uh, but the writing was always a part of it. I was always, I always wanted to, I thought I was going to be a singer. I really did. I, I, you know, I thought I was going to be, and I say this in my act, but it's true. I thought I was going to be the first white addition to the Jackson five. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I'm little, you know, I want to be him when he's older, he wanted to be me. So, uh, but, uh, I, I, I was never, you know, like the class clown. Were you the class clown? No, I was real quiet. Uh, I would pick, I was funny, but I would pick my moments, you know, I was quiet until I got comfortable around people. And it's, it's funny that you bring up the throwing up thing because I, I, it was until high school that I would throw up the first week or so just going to school. And I went through periods where I would get so nervous. I would throw up just before going to school all the way up until high school, and uh, it was weird. I had like a some kind of social anxiety, and 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 I always did, and I still do get pretty nervous before I go on stage. But when it came to stand up, I just knew in my heart that I could do it. 
you know. And I never liked yeah. public speaking or any of that crap. I just knew that I could do it. And now, how old were you when you started? Uh, I was 23. I decided when I was in college I was going to be a teacher and a wrestling coach because I didn't know what else to do. And then I, a friend of mine had me listen to a Bill Hicks CD, and I was having a lot of anxiety about being a teacher because I realized pretty deep into it that I didn't want to do that. And I listened to that Bill Hicks CD, and I walked home that night, and I thought to myself, that's the funniest guy I've ever heard, and I've never heard of him, which means I can do this for a living even if I never get famous. <laughs> and so, you know, it was my goal, and within, right at the two-year mark, the restaurant I was working at closed down, and I was making a few hundred bucks a week, and now it's been over 20 years. I haven't had a day job, so it's worked it's, out. Uh, um, for me, it was uh, uh, Bill Cosby himself when he's in the brown suit and the tie is cocked over to the side. Yeah. My old man who never laughs at anything really in life, uh, I saw him wipe the tears from his eyes, and they paid uh, you know, the late fee at, at the uh, video store there by our house, uh, their house to, uh, to watch it again and again. He watched it all weekend long. Huh. And, uh, you know, I know, you know, Bill's got his own rap now, but, uh, you know, pound for pound, that was, that thing is still so funny and timeless, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I always, I always had that. And then as soon as I got up, I, you know, it's funny cause I practiced and that first time I went on stage, you know, I had everything, practice you know and i i thought it was a you know that god was sending me in this direction this is the direction and i've been watching a lot of stand-up even before that right a lot evening at the improv tim allen uh men are pigs all this other stuff yeah and so i go and my first line was uh uh hi my name is cowboy bill martin i'm not going to sing to you but ironically my life has become a sad country and western song that was the first line of my, and so uh, I had to follow a headliner that night uh, named Charles Brockman. Do you remember Charles at all? I don't. Charles got out of the business, but uh, uh, Charles just, and back then, you know, this is 96, the comedy club was packed on, on, uh, on the open mic night. Yeah, there's 125 people in just for the open mic. And uh, he goes in and just destroys, right? And the only person I told that I was going to do it was my best friend, Graylin Johnson. And he's sitting in there with some chick, you know, his date. And so the guy goes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, y'all heard him on KSCS, which nobody had, right? I'd done one little break for that crying, loving, or leaving thing. Uh, please welcome Cowboy Boo Martin. And I came up and they were clapping, Tim, and I lost it. Okay. I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't remember Cowboy Bill. Martin, and that's my name. Not yeah. a made-up name. I've heard it since I was born. Couldn't remember anything. And I go, wow, uh, I'm sorry. I'm a virgin at this. This is my first time. And they all started clapping. You know, like, go ahead, man. You got it. And I look at my best friend, and they stop clapping, and I lose it again. And I get this flop sweat in my mustache. That's all I could grow back then was a mustache. And I could taste, I still remember to this day, the taste of salt like I've never tasted before. And uh, I paused and, and I said, wow, this is like being a virgin because I petered out twice and uh, embarrassed myself both times. I, let's just all hug for about 50 minutes and I'll try it again. Yeah. Right? And they all went, oh, 
and then I hit the line, right? Hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. So, and then I was doing the thing and it was getting laughs, right? And I wasn't ready for that either or the spacing of it. And I was only supposed to do five or seven minutes that first time, which is enormous these days. Now they give these kids three minutes, which I don't know how you can establish anything in three minutes. But uh, uh, so I, I take long to get started. I don't account for the laughter. And now the guy's in the back. He's giving me the light, man. And I don't know any idea what, what it's for, right? Mm-hmm. All I kept saying is he was going, keep going, buddy. You're doing great, man. Love it. <laughs> I come off stage and he goes, that was good. The next time I give you a light, get off stage. I was like, he goes, I know, relax, it's all right. And uh, I went home that night and I was so jacked up and I looked in the mirror, that same mirror, and I was like, this is what I was meant to do. This is what exactly what I was meant to do. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to happen, but this is what I'm going to do. And and I haven't had a real job uh, in 25 years. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, you touched on a couple things that made me, you know, first of all, about Bill Cosby, like you said, I know he's, you know, he's seen better days, but when you consider the fact that Bill Cosby can make a, could make a four-year-old up to a 94-year-old laugh their butts off, um, he, he, he may be, have to be considered the best comedian ever when you put, when you put those parameters on it, you know? Um, I mean, he certainly had a gift for storytelling, and I remember Bill Cosby himself. That was a great one. And it also made me remind. It reminded me of uh, the first time I ever ate it on stage. It was it was I'd been on? It was like my ninth or tenth time on stage, and I I hadn't had a bad set yet. And I remember thinking, like, <laughs> I know people say that this is really hard, but I don't know if that applies to me, you know, and. <laughs> And then I went up, and it was the first time I ever got paid. It was the best of Kansas City on a Tuesday, and I made $8 that night. I got my part of the door, and I didn't get a laugh like the whole 10 minutes, and I was ready to quit. I came off stage, and I was mad. I was like, you know, I don't need people. I've been funny my whole life. I don't need people telling me I'm not funny. And this guy named Brian Burgess came in, who's one of the funniest people. You know Brian? Most people don't know him, but he's one of the funniest guys that most people have never heard of, and we all went short. Me and Chris Porter, a few other guys were on the show and we all went short and they needed like another 30 minutes. And in comes Burgess and uh, the guy running the room goes, Burgess, can you go up and do some time? Cause these guys all went short and I'm screwed. And he's like, all right, take it easy. I'll go up. <laughs> and he went up and just murdered these people that none of us could do anything with. And I sat in the back of the room and I was like, well, Tim, he's been at it 15 years. That's why he's so good. You can't just quit because you had a little bump in the road and uh you know it's funny the things that happen that keep us going because i was ready to quit you know i was ready to just stop well one of the biggest philosophies that i have with stand-up is uh you know i really get tired of hearing uh, comics come off and go man that crowd sucked and that crowd uh i so early in my career i was blessed enough to work with lewis black right yeah Right when his HBO special first came out, so he was just a you know a, a twenty five hundred dollar uh, a weekend headliner man, maybe even less, maybe that eighteen hundred dollar headliner, right? But he yeah. was breaking, and he was making some waves and uh, real waves, and and but he was doing Fort Worth and Arlington, so I opened for him in Fort Worth, and then he asked me to if I want to come hang out in Arlington the next week, right? And uh, of course. And so I'm there and there's an opening act in the 
there's a heckler in the audience and he has got that guy by the throat figuratively, you know, and hitting him with hitting him. And the kid on stage is way overmatched and you could tell. And then the next guy goes up and, and, uh, it's the late, uh, Chuck Casey. I don't know if you remember Chuck, but he no. was, uh, uh, he did some, uh, <laughs> he did some Riddix commercials. That was his claim to fame. But uh, he uh, he goes up, and the guy is, is after him, too. And uh, Lewis comes over and tells the, the opening act and the uh, owner, and I'm standing there with him, and he goes, uh, hey, listen, when he goes short, here's what I want you to do. And the owner goes, uh, Jim Butler goes, listen, he's that's a good comic up there. He'll do his time. And he turns from him like, shut up. The grown-ups are talking, right? He turns to the opener and goes, when he goes short, <laughs> what I want you to do is acknowledge him. Let's hear it for Chuck Kasin. I don't want you to do a big fanfare build-up or anything else. Just go up and say, ladies and gentlemen, from HBO, Lewis Black. And sure enough, 22 minutes into a 30-minute set, the feature act pulls a ripcord, right? Yeah. Good night. And Lewis comes on stage and uh, it shakes the guy does exactly what he's told to do. The opening act does. Lewis comes up, shakes his hand, walks off stage, and goes stands behind the guy. You know, with those frantic hands, and he goes, "Your turn." He goes, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, you've been yelling in the dark. Now you get to be a star. So go be a star." And the guy's like, "Well, I was just helping, man. I know you wasn't helping. They they wrote the act, and you yelled in the dark. Always easy to do. Now you." Get to be the effing star, man. And and the guy's getting smaller and smaller. He goes, you know, and because they went short, you get to cover the extra time, too. So I'm going to need whatever. So he, And he's getting smaller and smaller, and the people are laughing. And, and it's a ballsy move, you know. And then uh, he finally tells him, he goes, okay, now you're going to sit there, and if you make one noise, I'm going to grab you by the scruff of the neck. I still love that line. I'm going to grab you by the scruff of the neck and throw your ass out of here myself. Yeah. And he walks back on stage, Tim, and he leans into the mic like it's too hot to touch. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Lewis Black. And they all stood up and gave him a standing ovation before he ever actually told a stage uh, a joke on that stage. Nice. And then later on that night, he said, never give the crowd credit, never give them blame. He said, it's such the easiest cop out in the world. Yeah. So most of the time you'll look at that set and you'll realize where you turned them off. And isn't it amazing how when you really let down that ego, you know, like when the show doesn't go as well as you thought, you yeah. know, or the show didn't go well at all. And that happens to all of us. And then you get back and go, yeah, I shouldn't have went after the lady when I first got on. You know, my big hang up is always when people have their feet on the stage, yeah. you know, with their feet crossed. Drives me absolutely insane. Me too. Right? Yeah. And a lot of times when I get right on stage, I used to go right after them, right? And then you realize, wait a minute, I, I'm i not everybody's buddy yet. She's still part of their group. Yeah. She's the spokesperson for them. And I've taken it into the tank just because I wouldn't let that go in the very, very beginning instead of working it. And then once I have that established, then be able to do those kind of stuff. So, I mean, it was just invaluable. And I, that's the one thing I wish young comics would do now is 
spend a little bit more time watching some of the guys that have been out making money doing this thing for a while. Yeah. Instead of telling them how great, you know, their Twitter numbers are and the, that's great. Well, how can you, what happens if you're doing your, your closer and the waitress has got a full tray of things and smash, you know, yeah. How do you handle that with your Twitter followers? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of little things that only experience can teach you, you know, and you're right about the attacking somebody too quickly. Sometimes there can be somebody heckling up front and they don't, the rest of the crowd can't hear them. And if you hit them too hard, they're like, Oh, this guy's a jerk, you know, and you can, it's, it's just like, I equate a lot of my wrestling career to my stand-up career, and it's like it's like getting taken down and put on your back right off the bat, and then you got 44 minutes left. <laughs> you know, that's a long way to go when you realize they've they've already abandoned you or don't yeah. like you. You know, so there's there's a lot of little things, and it bothers me too. Like if it's a small crowd, I I always tell kids starting out, I'm like. It's your job to make them feel, because they already feel self-conscious. Being in a crowd is kind of an intimidating thing in itself. And I have to tell them, like, make them feel like this is still the place to be. You know, don't go up there and rip on them for being there. Then they feel like idiots and just want to shy away and not laugh. You know, maybe make a quick joke about it, but then you just go right into what you're doing and uh, there's all these little things that you that, like I said, only only uh, experience can can uh, can get you in this business. And I'm glad to see you're doing so well. And and do you uh, have an ultimate goal in this business? Well, uh, I'm like you. You know, uh, I I what I want. I I don't know if fame is important to me, but uh, putting asses in the seats uh, it really does make life a little bit. A little bit easier for you, yeah. you know. Uh, about five years ago, I started doing uh, the renting out the the four walls myself, and uh, because I was like you, I was kind of fed up with uh, showing up. And first of all, it felt like the club didn't care that you were there, you know. And you could tell that they didn't care when you ask who was here last week, and they go, uh, "Gosh, I really don't remember." So even though you felt, you know, when you walk in, they're like, hey, man, yeah, it's good to see you. There was that knowledge that I had in my head that next week I'll be the guy that they go, oh, geez, who was here? Yeah. You know? Uh, Second of all, the audience, so much, so many of the times in a club is coming to see the club and not coming to see you. You know, it's, it's Betty's birthday in the office and they won 20 tickets, you know, and then they have a different agenda uh, when they're walking in uh, to a club and they don't even know that you're on the bill. Yeah. Uh, these theaters that I rent out, my philosophy has always been if we sell 600 seats, I try to stay in a theater that's less than 700 seats, you know. That way, if the balcony isn't sold and if all I sell is 200 tickets, you know, the bottom's going to look nice and full and it's going to sound nice and full. Yeah. Plus, all 200 of those people came to see me. Right. So maybe I'm, I, I, I'm not doing five nights, five shows, you know, where I need 1,200 people to show up in a comedy club. Maybe all I need is 200 to make more of the money, let's be honest. And uh, because, you know, if I can get a, a rent a four ball, and then they come see me. So I've had that philosophy for the last, uh, I guess, since 2016. And uh, that's what I continue to try to do. Okay. And now, also, uh, my goal when I got into to life, 
not into this business. Five, five years old, all I wanted to do is write songs that people would listen to. And I wanted to write uh, movie scripts that people, I, I'd have my, I always imagine pulling down my old ball cap, right? Going into the theater, pulling down my old ball cap and seeing if they laughed when I wanted them to and cry when I wanted them to. Yeah. So my goal and my focus from here on out is to find people to help me make those two dreams come true. Because I, I've enjoy, I still enjoy stand-up. I'll continue to do stand-up, and I love it. And I like the touring of it, as long as we can do it on my terms. I kind of dig that part of it, too. Yeah. But I really want those two things to really happen. So, you know, I, I, I just keep writing and writing and writing, and that's all I really can worry about is just doing the work and let other people who do that thing make that stuff happen. Yeah. Well, dude, as dramatic as it may sound to say this, I feel like God wanted us to talk. <laughs> you know, uh, because I, I I have. I've been praying about a lot of things, and those are the things that I, I want to, to do, the things that you've been doing. And, and I'd even been, been thinking about doing live streams, and I, I know a friend of mine who doesn't do comedy, but he does live streams, and he's gotten really popular doing it. He's a conspiracy guy, but he... It's worked out really well for him, and just the live streaming part of it, and, you know, that's kind of a daunting thing to even embark on, but, um, you know, I hope you don't think I'm stealing off you if I if I do the same thing, but I think that's a great idea. Dude, uh, I wasn't the guy that invented it, so you didn't steal it from me, <laughs> uh, and it was certainly told to me by my marketing team to do it. You have to reach the audience. Yeah. What a better time. In 1996... You know, the only way that you reach the audience was to go to the comedy club and pray somebody eventually, you know, with the improv group or, you know, one of the, or go out to L.A. and then somebody with, you know, a Gersh or an ICM, you know, make you a star. Yeah. Well, these days uh, you can flip on just like we've done here today. You can flip it on and you can reach an audience, you know, uh, and as long as you're being you, you know, if that guy's a conspiracy theorist, you know, that they, uh, uh, there's an audience for that, but that's for him. Right. And, uh, you know, my only advice is to you is to, to make sure that you're doing it, uh, to have your own voice out there to have, you know, the Tim Gaither, uh, you know, experience. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but it's out there and there's a lot of satisfaction and not, not being under somebody else's, you know, control. Um, yeah. Oh my God, I hope that booker calls me. I need that booker to call me. I got to have that booker call me. What if that booker don't like me? You know, uh, there's, there's a lot of power in that thing that I, I don't necessarily appreciate, you know? And uh, so I, I made a difference in, in making that difference. Yeah. And it's possible. Now everything's possible with the internet. You just got to stay committed to it, and you really got to stay. Uh, don't talk yourself. Best advice old Uncle Bill can give you is uh, don't talk yourself out of a good idea. Okay. That's the problem is most time you'll call people and go, what do you think about? And I was thinking about, and could I, and I, you know what's a good idea. So just go with it. Yeah. And at the very least, you know, my, my old manager, who I just let go of uh, a month ago, because I had this, uh, this thing called the bus stop. Uh, a friend of mine taught me this, this philosophy. 
So periodically, I make decisions. I pull up to my bus stop in my head, and I look on my bus to see who's on it, who's helping me get down the road to my destination, who's just on the bus, and who keeps making the bus break down, right? <laughs> and then those people that aren't helping me get to the destination or breaking my bus down, what's well, time for you to go, Yeah. right? And I was talking to, to a guy, and uh, he was like, Bill, you're looking for a magic bullet. And I said, no, brother, I'm looking for a magic machine gun. Because <laughs> right now, with the internet, the way that people got, gobble up information, you fire one bullet, that thing's only going to last maybe three days. Yeah. And I have 27 videos right now with over 2 million views on them. And yet, I know once I fire that bullet, that bullet's going to have its thing, and then it's just going to trail off. And then you need to fire another bullet, and another bullet, and another bullet, and another, because this turnover of information is just so vast yeah. that you just stay out there, man. So that's my only, old Uncle Bill, that's the only thing I'm telling you is to stay true to who you are, to uh, don't take anybody's advice, okay? And then to keep firing that magic machine gun. Yeah. Well, God bless you, dude. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. I wanted to ask, I, I might be hitting you up too about, because I've been thinking about renting out small theaters and, and I wasn't sure how to go about all that stuff. So if you don't mind, I might hit you up about the, some advice on that. And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not giving the secret away on the internet, but uh, you call me and I'll tell you what you got to sign up for. Okay, I will. And uh, I want to ask you real quick before we get out of here, um, what, what's the best advice you could give a, a new father? Because he's two and, you know, that's it. Uh, always give your word. Keep your word. So many fathers don't. It, you know, I've gone through divorce, with you know, with the kids. And all, we're very, we're still very, very tight-knit. And okay. I think if you ask all my kids, they said when the old man said he was going to do something, whether show up, whether ground me, whether take away my phone, whether to praise me, whether to be at parent-teacher conference, whether to turn off the TV, whether he was going to be there for dinner, whether he was going to pick you up. But the old man kept his word. Yeah. All kids truly, truly want is security. And security means it's not about money. That's just showing up when you said you were going to show up. Yeah. They don't expect you to be the superhero, man. They just expect you to be there. Yeah. You know, and, and there's so many men who are not men these days in this country. You know, so many men not showing up for their kids. And, and that's all they're looking for, man. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah, I know. My my dad wasn't always there for me in that way, and and so it's kind of been instilled in me in the in a different way that that's what I need to do for my boy. So I appreciate you telling me that. And uh, is there anything you'd like to say before we get out of here? Where can people find you and all that kind of thing? Oh, they can go to WilliamLeeMartin.com, WilliamLeeMartin.com on Facebook. It's uh, comedian William Lee Martin, and then I have a couple of specials if you're looking for something for free to watch. Uh, two specials on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, one called Standing in the Middle, and uh, the other one is called The Nutcracker. It's a Christmas special based on my vasectomy. <laughs> 
Well, you're uh, you're one of the funniest guys out there, and you're very talented in a lot of ways. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And uh, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed talking to you. I, I had a whole bunch of questions, and we didn't get to hardly any of them. And those are the best kind of podcasts. Well, uh, I I appreciate it too. And and, uh, and Darren Carter, uh, the party starter, he uh, I just did his, and I was like, hey man, you know I want to do more of these podcasts. And he goes, you know Tim? And I go, yeah, I know Tim. And he goes, well, he's got a great one. And uh, so I, 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 it's a big thrill for me to get to talk to you and see your face. Thanks, brother. Well, God yeah. bless you. Keep doing what you do, and uh, I'll see you out there. I'll be, in, I'll be in touch because I got some questions. Yes, sir. All right. God bless you, Bill. Take care. Take care, bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. WilliamLeeMartin.com. Make sure you check that out. Very funny dude. And, uh, you know, we always got along real well, and, and um, it's been a long time since I've been able to talk to him, so... You know, God puts the right people in your path in in your path when you ask Him to, and uh, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I sure did. Make sure you go to makingithappen.com, M-A-C-A-N, ithappen.com. Help out little Bo Macon, and uh, make sure you like and share and subscribe this channel and this podcast. And I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube. God bless all of you. Take care. Bye bye. Do us both a favor and click on that subscribe button.